Luke chapter 14, and we'll begin reading at verse 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray that you have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. I'm going to preach this morning on the high cost of excuses. It's a very familiar story in the scripture. We know the meaning of the story. A great supper had been planned. Many had been invited. Most rejected the invitation. Obviously, it is speaking of salvation and Christ is dealing with the Pharisees, the hypocrites here, the nation of Israel, and saying the Messiah has come, but you've rejected his invitation, his great invitation, and so the Gentiles, the focus will become the Gentiles and the Gentile nations. But obviously here, there's a present application for us, and so I want to talk to you first of all about the great cost of excuses when it comes to your soul, when it comes to salvation, and every single week as a preacher, a pastor prays over the Sunday messages, Sunday services, and everything that's going to take place, hoping that someone in the congregation, because every time we hold services, there are lost people sitting here. I have no idea how many, how many youth, how many children, how many visitors, how many longtime members, just because you're a member of Cap City Baptist Church doesn't mean you're a born-again child of God. Until you've had that moment in your life when you've acknowledged your sin, repented, uh, and cried out to God for mercy, and looking back, having experienced a radical change that only the Holy Spirit of God can bring, uh, uh, that means you need to still get saved. But here's what I can't believe. We're talking about a supper invitation. How many of your favorite meal of the day is supper? Only a handful of you. That's my favorite. I'm not a big breakfast person. Coffee is fine with me. Uh, my wife's been torturing me with oatmeal for years. Uh, only at my request. She doesn't do that on purpose, but she does it on purpose uh, to help me out. But at the end of the day, supper, you know, your aunt, that's, that's it. I know. You've heard all the scientific reasoning behind why it should be your lightest meal of the day. That's only for skinny folk. And for healthy folk, but the rest of us that are blessed and fat and happy, amen, you need to come home and put as much as you can on your guy and, and, and lay back eight hours and watch it turn to fat by the morning hours. There's just something about supper. And this was a great supper, a great invitation, a great meal. Uh, several months ago, we invited the staff over. Our house is finally large enough to host people. And Jeremy... Uh, grilled steaks, and Pastor Mark grilled salmon. 
and the ladies brought all kinds of, I, I haven't seen a feast like that in a long, long time. And it's one of those suppers where you just walk over and the torture is trying to figure out where to put it all on your plate. And at some point, you just break down and say, I need another plate. That's it. It's just, you don't have to gauge this. You don't have to uh, pace yourself. You just eat. That's a great supper, right? And when, you, when it comes to a great supper, you don't have to debate it. You don't have to question it. You just know this is, this is, the, real, this is the real moment. And this picture of salvation, there can be nothing greater than the grace that is planned and prepared and provided exactly what we need to be forgiven. Amen? Jesus Christ, His coming, His death, His burial, His resurrection. And when it says bidden, this is speaking of something that just didn't come. The invitation wasn't once, but there were repeated invitations. Come to the dinner. Come to the dinner. Here's the grace of God. How many you say, if God would have only given me one invitation, I would have missed salvation. If it had just been one time. Thank God for his grace and mercy that repeatedly uh, many of the group in this church literally heard the gospel hundreds of times, possibly thousands of times before they responded. Very few respond the very first time. But it says, come. Isn't Isn't that hard to believe that the hardest word in all the gospel is that one right there? Come. Okay, tell me what's offensive about a supper invitation. You said that too harshly. <laughs> you didn't give me a good enough explanation. I wasn't ready yet for that kind of invitation. You came on kind of strong, you know, with the whole barbecue ribs. <laughs> Slow down. Back up a little bit. You know, give me, give me time to process this. Isn't it crazy to think about salvation and man's excuses? Okay, eternal life, free gift, heaven forever, Jesus Christ paid for it. Slow down. I've got to ponder this for a minute. Uh, you don't have to do anything. God's done it all. Christ has paid it all. All you have to do is admit your sin, repent. Uh, give, give me a moment. To think that those which were bidden, it, Christ is trying to make something very obvious here that the excuses when it comes to salvation are flimsy. They're flim flam. They're not acceptable to God. They're obvious lies. And the worst part is they will cost you your eternity in the lake of fire. How many of you look back at the excuses you made before you got saved and say, how ridiculous? What, why was I waiting? What was I thinking? Truly, what was the pause? It was the confusion of the moment. It was the religion. It was those false beliefs. It was what, whatever we have backed up and stacked up in our mind. And Satan will literally fill your mind with excuses. And here's what, here's what Christ is going to do in this parable. He's teaching us how ridiculous every single excuse is when it comes to salvation. Utterly ridiculous. Now, we've all heard people teach or preach, and I've read scores of books, commentaries on Luke and people's explanation. You need no explanation for this. Here's what Christ does. He's not pulling these out of the hat. He's speaking a parable. He's just not inventing craziness, although it sounds crazy. He's saying the three primary excuses of man do not change over time. Property, work, and family are still the primary excuses. 
I bought a piece of land. Okay, now here's what he's saying about supper. It's the end of the day. It's the last meal. So there's a time frame here. Darkness is coming. That's, that's why he makes it very clear. This is the last meal of the day. So I've bought a piece. No one buys a piece of land without having already looked at it. And here's what Christ has said. Whatever excuse you are using, because property has such a hold of us. Sometimes it's a vehicle, sometimes it's a house, sometimes it's furniture, sometimes it's shopping, some, whatever we're prioritizing, but we prioritize goods in life and what we own and what we can get and how much time we spent trying to find it. And social media hasn't helped because now it goes beyond Facebook and Craigslist and now you can do all your shopping online. And pastor, I'm, I'm much more efficient now that I can shop online. It just means you spend less gas and more time, you know. The money that was spent during COVID, unnecessarily, just because people had excess time. And now with a credit card and the push of a button, they can buy stuff they never needed. Just, that's all it takes. One click, one push, and it's delivered to the door. Can't you believe how simple life has become? You can spend money and collect more garbage, and rent more rental units to stash more of your garbage, and rent houses with greater attics and greater closet space to stash the stuff that you hit with the click of a button. But when that becomes man's excuse to go to hell, there's a problem. How many people today are not in church because they're trying to accumulate more property? But Christ is letting you know how silly it looks because he's saying, now obviously, we're talking about a man that is just blatantly fibbing. That's what we call it. God calls it a lie. Okay, you, you didn't just go, they didn't even have social media back then, so he couldn't even use excuse. I saw it on a computer, but I didn't actually see it in person. No one, okay, you're either a fibber or you're a fake. You're a total doofus. If you bought a piece of land and never even took a look, you need a brain transplant. Because you've got some serious issues. But here's, here's what the Lord's trying to tell us. There are such silly excuses when it comes to salvation. And we look back. Now, there are people sitting here this morning that are not saved. Some have grown up in church. And it's all, well, you know, people already think I'm saved. That's a silly excuse to put you in hell. You know, I'd have to practically climb over people. Pastor, the rows in this church are so tight and the invitation is so short. And I would look like an idiot trying to make my way up to the front. And I've already gone through a Christian school. I'm in a Christian home. And how many people are going to look at me? Uh, everyone here that I know of is going to be extremely happy for you. If you simply get past your excuse and say, I need to get born again. We're talking about a great supper. We're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're talking about eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would, how, how many of you came under conviction in church and you remembered the battle of moving out of your row and down an aisle to respond to the gospel? How many of you responded in church, you remember that battle? How many of you remember how intense it was? Because you're already kind of locked in. You got people to the right, you got people to the left, you got pews in front of you, and you're sitting there verse after verse saying, 
I just don't think, but when the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart, you know what salvation is? You putting down every single excuse that keeps you from putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation means you leave every excuse behind. And whatever people think of you, whatever people are going to think, or whatever people have thought of you no longer matters. Your only concern is the salvation of your soul, and I need to get born again. And forget the mom keeps telling me that I'm saved. I actually need to get saved. And forget that everyone else thinks I'm already saved. I need to get saved. Forget that my mother or grandmother told me salvation was baptism or through church membership. The Bible tells me it's through Jesus Christ. I need to get Jesus Christ. Here's what he does. Lord Jesus Christ is poking holes in each one of their excuses. And the next one, he said, uh, I bought, verse, five, verse 19, I bought five yokes of oxen and I go to prove them. Well, that's another obvious lie. That's a lot of money, five yoke of oxen. And you never even really took a good look at how they plow. Okay, once again. You're an idiot or you're a liar. And if you have enough money to buy five yoke of oxen, you have enough common sense to observe your purchase. I can't help you. If you went down and bought a used truck and never even took a mechanic to check out the motor, I can't help you. You don't salt low IQ. It... Don't get offended with me. Everyone in here is high IQ, so there should be no offended looks. Five yoke of oxen. And oh, you're going to go plow at night? So we're going to go out there in the middle of the field at supper time and and yoke up those oxen. Do you see what Christ is doing? He's just saying, it's all feeble. There's dinner. Go enjoy the supper. Go enjoy the invitation, and when it comes to salvation, here's the dilemma of a pastor. He's supposed to preach on Sundays. There's a good chance he knows at least a few that have never gotten born again, and it's just the temptation to to go say, why don't you get saved? Why why don't you respond? There's no easier way to explain it. There's, There's nothing more we can do. God is facilitated by giving you the word of God, by explaining salvation, by simplifying it. But you've got to respond. There's those two extremes. The Calvinist that says, let's not do anything. God will shake them, send down fire from heaven, push them to the carpet. They'll cry at the front altar for 30 minutes and shake into the kingdom of God. Ridiculous. And then there's uh, the other that says, just just pray. Jesus, save me. there's, There's a moment when you've got to understand the gospel. But in understanding, the Holy Spirit of God is going to bring conviction. And when you feel that conviction, the stupidest thing you could do in your life is reject that moment. The best thing you could do when you sense that conviction is race to God. Respond to the gospel Stop making excuses. We heard a testimony this past week. We were preaching a conference, and one of the missionaries uh, talked about uh, witnessing to a man, and he looked very afflicted in his heart and soul during the service and left. That night he came back, and he said, I don't want to get saved. And the preacher asked him, he said, why didn't you get saved this morning? He said, I had in my pocket a winning lottery ticket. 
And he said, preacher, I understand enough of the gospel that if I would have gotten saved this morning, I couldn't have cashed that ticket. He said, I was determined just to leave here, risk my soul, cash that ticket. He said, I felt bad all day. I don't know what to do with the money, but I'm here to get born again. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that a lottery ticket? But you, you know what? He at least understood enough gospel to understand that God requires salvation means radical change is going to take place in your heart and life. And this man is not willing to give up his work. And how many have allowed work to keep them out of the kingdom of God? Sundays they'll be working, Wednesday nights they'll be working. And they say, you know what? I don't need to hear the gospel. What I need to do is make more money in. And then verse 20, relationships, family. Another said, I have married a wife. Now the first one had enough money to buy a piece of land. The next one had enough money to buy five yoke of oxen. The next man had enough money for a wedding. You tell me who has the most money. <laughs> the last one had past tense. <laughs> now the first one said, please let us out of this supper. The last one said, please said, I married a wife. I can't go. How many people use their spouse as an excuse how many people have not gotten saved i remember years ago witnessing to a man for months and months and he understood the gospel he'd come under conviction and i asked him i said what is keeping you from getting born again you understand and you're obviously wrestling in your heart and soul he said preacher my mother is catholic and she believes salvation is by works and she just passed. And for me to admit that the gospel is by grace through faith without works is to say that my mother is in the lake of fire. And I would prefer to die before I admit that my mother is in the lake of fire. Now eventually God got a hold of his heart and he got born again and he's actually in church today. But it took the embracing of the truth of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, and saying, I'm not going to let a family member or the pressure of a family member or a wife or a husband take me to hell. At the end of the day, God has got me the gospel, and I'm not going to give an excuse. And here's the problem. You just see in all three of these a, a general in, indifference. Now, here's what happened. The more blessed people are the harder it is for them to accept a need, a spiritual need, or an additional blessing. Okay, so you have these people who already have money, who already have friends, who already are established in their social circles, and someone says, uh, we want to invite you to a great dinner. I'm 250 pounds. It's not like I need a great dinner. I've got money in my wallet. I can go buy a steak if I want. I don't like crowds. I don't want to be around people. I prefer my barbecue over your barbecue. You know why the gospel is so difficult in the United States of America? People are fat and full. So when you talk about salvation, I already have religion. 
And I'm already a good person. I'm already a decent father. My life's already in order. I already have pretty much what I need. What is Jesus going to add to my life? And that's why when he came, uh, he, he being angry, verse 21. Did you know the man's rejection of the gospel angers God? Can you imagine if you'd given your son? So God gave his son, Jesus Christ. He paid for our salvation. Why would he not be angered when we say, no, I know Jesus paid for it, but I'm going to still try to pay for it on my own. What Jesus did is not sufficient. I'm going to add my works to the equation because God, you ought to, you ought to smile more on my works than what Jesus did. Have you considered the audacity of religion that tries to put man's focus and faith in works over the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you imagine a God in heaven that's not offended by the culture of religion that says there's something you have to do because what Jesus did is simply insufficient? The pride of man, God hates pride, God resists pride. And the pride of man that says, it's faith plus what I do. It's faith plus baptism. It's faith plus my good works over the course of my lifetime. That angers God. And those that feel so self-sufficient and those that have no need for a dinner and those that are very indifferent, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the poor and the lame and the halt and the blind. Go to people that actually are needy and want dinner. You know where the gospel is, is seeing the greatest impact? In countries where there's great emotional, spiritual, financial, physical distress. I talked to a missionary this past week, and he said, we've been praying for decades for a new revival in Ukraine, and maybe this is what it's going to bring, because the, the people, once they're accepted into, uh, just in, into a, a European mindset, they immediately became hardened to the gospel. You know what war has done? Reopened their spiritual minds and produced uh, something in their hearts that we haven't seen in decades, and when you travel around the world, why is it that places in Africa, Malawi and Zambia and Uganda and Kenya and Nicaragua and places in Central and South America where poverty is so rampant, people are much more responsive because he says those that want supper are the hungry, go to the poor and the lame and the blind. And Christian, here's what we've got to learn to do. We want to get the invitation out to everyone, but usually the response among those that are blessed is a response of rejection. Because I don't need dinner. I'm fat, and I'm full, and I don't want any more to eat. Have you ever tried to witness to someone like that? I'm satisfied, and I'm happy, and I have need of nothing. But when you find someone who literally is crying out, there's problems in their life, problems in their home, problems in their marriage, problems in their finances. Uh, folks, what we're about ready to see worldwide, there's no one in here with their uh, head in the sand and their eyes closed. You've seen the uh, inflation and you've seen the denial. 
my own government, by the Fed, and you've seen the printing of money, and you've seen now uh, Ukraine, one of the world's bread baskets, and Russia's economy tumbling, and the producer of 13% of the ingredients necessary for fertilization, when there's already a wheat shortage, and now Russia in uh, anger, has said, uh, uh, so you want to cut us off? We'll cut off fertilizer. Uh, you see how you deal with that. What, what we're about, is, I'm not here to bear bad news, you guys obviously know what's, what's around the corner, but life is changing rapidly. And what, what your grocery is going to cost six months down the road from now? Uh, you better buckle up and Learn to eat less. You better enjoy the supper of yesterday. <laughs> because that five-course meal may become, oh, bless our hearts, three-course. You, you might eat out a little less, and we all might get a little bit healthier. Wouldn't that be a shame? But you know what? When you're fat and full and you've enjoyed the luxuries of life, a supper invitation is usually more headache and hassle than blessing. And there are people sitting here, you've been so blessed in life. You've been in church, you've been raised around the gospel, you have everything in your favor, but you're not even born again. Because you have experienced everything good from God except salvation itself. So the offer to actually participate in the supper is pushed away. And how many people, you see it repeatedly in the Bible, Felix said, when I have a convenient season, Paul... Excuse, send him to hell. How many have said about salvation? When I find this more convenient to respond, more of a private moment, more when people don't know. Let, let me just say this before we move on to those that are in here that are not born again. I don't know if they're five or 10 or 15, but I guarantee in every age group, there are people that have never been saved. Here's the problem. When those people made the excuse, they were so habitual in their lying that they actually believed their own lies. So I need to go take care of these oxen. No, you don't. Not tonight. That's just a big lie. For those of you that aren't saved this morning, you're in this condition because you keep lying to yourself. I'll be okay. I've got time. It's not a big issue. God understands. God wouldn't send me to hell anyways. No, but you will send yourself to hell through rejection of God's Son and God's salvation. To think that the rapture could happen this afternoon and there would be 10 people that could actually come back to the evening service, that ought to disturb you. To think if you were to leave here and you were getting in an accident, you would die and your soul would go straight to hell with no way of escape. Not because you haven't heard the gospel, not because you haven't received the invitation, not because you haven't been bidden many times, but simply because every time that the Holy Spirit brings to mind your need of salvation, you keep coming up with another excuse why you don't need to respond right now at this moment. Or you're like Agrippa looking at Paul saying, almost. Almost self-persuadest me, preacher. Almost the Holy Spirit of God, his 
Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. The high cost of excuse, it'll cost you your soul in hell. Let me ask you, who knows how many millions, billions of people are burning in the lake of fire. Most are there because they simply kept making excuse. Not that they didn't believe, they just put it off, made an excuse. If you're sitting here this morning, this means this is not your first time to hear the gospel. This is not the first time to receive an invitation. This isn't the first time. Pastor, would you pressure someone? Yes! Ultimately, it's not my choice. I'm not going to force. We didn't finish reading the text, but he did say, go into the highways and edges and do what? Compel. So you first say, come, and when they don't, you say, I'm going to compel to keep you out of hell. Now, let, let, me, let, me, let me shock you. Okay. I'm going to say this carefully. Be careful. Because to hell with your excuse is where you'll go if you hang on to it. You literally will slide into the lake of fire because you keep excusing away the fact that you have never repented. You have never cried out to God for mercy. In everything in Christianity is a difficult obligation. Every service, every Sunday, there's no place. You know what happens when you get born again? The supper is fun. I mean to tell you, Tyrone and I have no problem with supper. Shiloh looks like he does. But Tyrone and I, bring us another rib. Pastor, you have acid reflux. How are you going to deal with that? I'll deal with it later. Let's think ribs right now. And for those that speaking of salvation, I'll I tell you what, anything that has to do with God and the things of God, there's no greater pleasure in life. And I look at people who truly, they only find pleasure in this world and the things of God are difficult and a struggle and uncomfortable and they find no pleasure there. And I just want to look at them and say, you can fix that. Get saved. Why, why would you torture yourself on Sunday morning? Through ritual, when you can fix it with salvation. Preacher goes so long, get saved, and you won't think that so often. (laughs) Genesis 3, look what it says in verse 11. We know this speaking of Adam and Eve in the garden, they have sinned. God calls out unto Adam, where art thou? Not that he didn't know where Adam was, but Adam didn't know where he was. You know what's sad in life? You talk to people, they have no clue where they're at. You talk to an Austinite, they have no clue. And I'm not talking about the ones that are high. I'm not talking about meth addicts. I'm not talking about uh, those at your, your corporate offices now. People walking in smoking marijuana. It blows my mind. The addictions we have. And I'm not talking about the ones that are drunk on Friday night, find themselves on 6th Street looking for a driver to get them home, have no clue where they're at. I'm talking about people literally who are going through life and don't know where they are. But Adam, God knows where he's at. He's not, he's not asking that to try to locate him. God has not lost his GPS. 
Look what it says. He said, I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten at the tree wherever I command thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou, look, he's blaming God. God, I didn't have any choice in this. You didn't give me A, B, C, or D. You just gave me her. Right? She gave me uh, Adam. She weighs 125 pounds. You weigh 185. It's not like she grabbed the apple and forced it down your throat. She didn't put you in a chokehold and say, eat it. Eat it now. I fixed it for dinner. You eat it. Huh? You had a choice, Adam. Now, we talk about the high cost of excuses. Here's the problem. If you're saved, you, you overcame your excuses. But Christians, here's the bigger issue. The rest of our spiritual life, we battle with that the monster is not Satan and the monster is not another church member and the problem is not your work environment. The problem is temptation and our flesh and sin will be a problem today and sin will be a problem tomorrow and sin will be a problem next week and we'll always have an excuse for another sin. Oh boy, if you look around today, there's a lot of pleasant people, pleasant faces, nice clothes, decent vehicles, Bible in their hands. And if you took a good look down at their heart, there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of sin that took place yesterday and the day before. And some that even took place this morning before church. Some that will take place after church. Some in the heart, some in the mouth, some in the mind. Some have already formed deep, deep-rooted habits of sin. Oh, it would, it would, if just the lid was lifted on the sin in this congregation, no one would have... No one would have the spiritual strength to show back up and face the crowd. All the thoughts, and we, we, we look at something bigger, more obvious, like some kind of addiction. But addictions in the hearts and the minds and the thoughts that go through the minds and the anger and the lust and the bitterness and the, you name it, it's there. And it's only there because we have the habit of doing what Adam did and Eve did and making an excuse for ourselves as if God in heaven will say, you know what, you have a pretty good excuse. I'm not going to make you pay the consequence. You know what, Adam, I said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But since Eve, the woman I gave you, forced you, forced, fed you, she tricked you. She put it in a smoothie. You thought it was just coconut and banana and pineapple. She snuck the apple in. I mean, she threw a little ice cream so you wouldn't even notice the apple texture or flavor. And then you said, honey, tell me that wasn't the forbidden fruit. And she said, yep, <laughs> certainly was. That you understand how ridiculous this was. You took, you chose and God said the punishment is there. And here's what I find so often in Christians. They think if I have a good excuse, God won't make me pull the, pay the full consequence of this sin. Yeah. It, just because we don't do very good at making personal application, sometimes I have to do that for you. Right. So you'll have to pardon me for a few minutes while I help you make personal application. I've watched mothers who go to church 
they read their Bible, they participate in ministry. On the exterior, they do everything that's right and proper. But they've allowed a foothold of bitterness in their lives. And kids can smell bitterness miles away. Oh, you can deceive everyone in the world, even pastor and other family members. You can't deceive your kids. Kids identify bitterness in a mom quicker than they identify pancakes with maple service, uh, syrup on the table for breakfast. So I've had mothers with those kids that turn right into the world. But it's amazing that kids can overcome so many different obstacles in life. They can overcome a drunk father that's absent in their life. So strange. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it after all these years. But you know what devastates the life of a child? A bitter mother. So mom attends church. She reads her Bible. She participates in ministry. And then she watches her children go to the world. And she said, I don't understand. I did everything right. And look what happened. You know what happened? You paid the consequence of making an excuse to sin. Because you said, I was hurt, and you have a good excuse. You have a good reason. You were hurt, and that should not have happened. And maybe that person should be in jail or should be in hell. But at the end of the day, God says you're going to have to make a choice, and ultimately, if you make the wrong choice, you choose that sin when can you, can you imagine? So Adam's out there and he's plowing with his boys and there's thorns and this and they're working hard and it doesn't, they don't get rain and it's a bad crop and uh, you know, there's not a Costco uh, to, to go shop at and they're, just, they're stuck that winter with meager uh, food to put on the table and they walk by the Garden of Eden and there are the angels and Cain says, Dad, what, what was it like? It's unbelievable, man. Lush, grass, plenty of water, amazing fruit. It was paradise. I mean, literally, guys, I can't exaggerate it. We were in paradise. It was a taste of heaven. So, so Dad, explain to me, how, how did we lose it all? I mean, were there monthly payments? You missed a payment or... You know, you, you and God got in an argument. Or what, what happened? It was an apple. Dad, it was a what? I know some of you sitting back, the Bible doesn't say it's an apple. And Dr. Rugman says it was a grape. And I don't care what it was. The bottom line, it was disobedience. To think that that piece of fruit cost them that much and Christians, here where we get, we get ourselves in trouble because we will excuse away whatever sin we want to harbor in our lives. 
So whatever sin is noticeable, we'll get rid of that as long as we can maintain the facade of superior Christianity. But in my heart, in my life, maybe it's just the habitual lying that takes place or jealousy or covetousness or pride or bitterness. Whatever sin is sitting there that we have justified, God says there is a consequence that comes with that sin. And the consequence may be the spiritual devastation of your children. It may mean you lose paradise. It may mean uh, your relationship with God is affected. It, whatever the case, there is a high cost that comes with every single excuse. And it doesn't matter what's preached. Missions or tithing or soul winning or loving the brethren or whatever it is, what you don't want to do, you already have a prefabricated excuse. The only, the only issue here is, in your mind, you may be able to justify that sin. But one day, I, I can't imagine going into the future knowing as a person that's robbed from God, knowing the uncertainty of the future. But I've just spent the past 10 years stealing from God. But I want God to bless my future. Um, let, let, me, let me tell you something. Okay, let me just say this before we move on. At one, one moment in life, undeniable moment, as long as you live healthy enough to make it there, you're going to turn 65, and the body doesn't have the same strength, vitality, energy. And have you noticed, uh, if you're 50 or 45, what, what the future is going to look like in 20 years is very distinct than what it looks like right now. Now, we hope the Lord Jesus Christ comes back tomorrow. But if he tarries, let me ask you a question. You want to go into old age and the needs of old age having robbed from God? For 8, 10, 15, or 20 years and then say in your old age, oh God, meet my needs, provide for me, and bless me. We're talking about one, whatever the sin is. I don't know what your sin is. I know what my sin is. We actually think that an excuse that others accept, God will accept. You say God's a loving God. Absolutely. But he's also a God of laws and order that moved Adam and Eve out of paradise because they ate of the forbidden tree. Let's read one more text and we'll be finished. Go ahead to Exodus chapter 3. The best thing you can do for your kids is teach them not to make excuses. They'll do it spiritually. I don't want to be an excuse maker. Not in sin, not in obedience to God, not... And anything in life, fulfilling my duties, arriving on time, whatever it is, I don't want to make excuses. Exodus 3, you know the story, the burning bush. Moses, he's meeting with God. He's 80 years old. He's been on the backside of the desert now for 40 years. He thinks his time and service for God is over. The Lord appears unto him in verse 10. Look what it says. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
And he said, certainly I will be with thee. Now, I've heard several messages. Uh, matter of fact, the night that I surrendered to preach, the preacher preached on this passage, a message titled, The Rod of God. Powerful, powerful message. But here's what you have, differing opinions when it comes to Moses. I won't give you the differing opinions. I'll just give you mine because I think it's right. So Moses was raised in the palace. He kills a man, flees for his life. He's in the backside of the desert for 40 years. Okay, when you're 80, how many realize life changes drastically from 40 to 80? Anybody here bright enough to? Okay, drastically. He's been around sheep. He's not been around people. He doesn't have any fancy clothes. His, if you just looked at him and smelled him, you would say, weather-worn, smells more like sheep than he does palace. His vernacular has changed. His posture has changed. Probably not the greatest candidate. And let me ask you this. Who, who wants to be that candidate anyways? Okay, Pharaoh's insane. We already know how he's going to respond. The people are in captivity. And let me ask you this. They've been living in slavery so long, they've already accepted it. You want to be the one that goes back and say, hey, I'm going to take you to freedom. So when we look at Moses' excuses, when he starts backing up and God says, I'm going to use you, and he starts backing up and said, who, who am I? Okay, in our minds, because we're looking long distance in time, we're saying he was the best candidate. God obviously had put him through the process, raised him up in the palace, handpicked him, hand-trained him, now put him on the backside of the desert, and every moment God is literally specifically preparing him for this moment. But if we were to just go and choose, are you choosing a man on the backside of a desert that's 80 years old, 40 years removed from Egypt? No, that's not our candidate. If you were the man in charge of the job search, be honest, that's not who you're picking. And it's natural now, let me ask you this. It's natural for him in fear to say, God, who am I? We've all heard messages on the five excuses that he makes, and it goes from fear to actually some level of rebellion where it's like, God, I just, I simply can't do this. And we know the rod, and it becomes a snake. And here's what God's doing all that. Moses, this really isn't about you at all. Okay, Moses, this is, you're not just a weak candidate. You're a... Um, a used-up, weak candidate. But this isn't about you, Moses. So what do I tell him? I am, God says. That I, so when they go down and ask, who are you? And you say, no, God, God that sent me the great I am, that's the only answer that I have. I say, Pastor, what's, what's your point? Can you imagine what God's people could do if we got rid of our excuses? We don't so win. Often we're not participants. We're in the background, not because there's not a need, but because we have so well developed our excuses. That's not my talent, Pastor. It's not my ability. You know my age. And every time God says, I'd like to get a little more mileage out of this vehicle. We say, oh no. It's already got 86,000 miles. I said, Pastor, you don't understand how old I am. I've got 260,000 plus on that Sequoia out there. Someone asked me the other day if I wanted to sell it. I said, no. Why not? It still has more miles in it. Uh-huh. And you know what? God says, 
you still have a few more miles. Doyle, you still have a few more miles. God said, you have 487,000 miles on that motor, and guess what? <laughs> you still got a few more miles. Christians, what could this church do absent of excuses? Not seeking a position. God's not going to put you in to, to, to lead Israel. There was only one Moses. But at the end of the day, Moses, the man that was supposed to do it, qualified simply by God's presence, made excuse after excuse after excuse that would have kept him. Now, hold on for a second. Can you imagine had Moses resisted and said, no, my excuses are valid whether you accept them or not. I mean, he would have missed the parting of the Red Sea. The 40 years of miracle, you said, well, you know what he would have missed? All the complaining Jews for 40 years, that's what he would have missed. I feel sorry for people who live their life making excuses and never truly find themselves right in the center of God's will, being used of God, because every time there's a chance, they just make another excuse. 90% of the Christians I know don't even stay in the center of God's will because their whole life, their children are an excuse, the stage of life are an excuse, the responsibilities of work are an excuse, their lack of talents are an excuse, their inabilities are an excuse. And literally, the most difficult part of pastoring is simply trying to get people to say, move past your excuse. I know who you are. God already knows who you are. But guess what he has to work with? Us. That's it. And he's not even concerned because it's based on him. So at some point we got to say, the consequence of my excuse means I can live my life absent of his blessing and being right in the middle of his will. And at the end of the day, spend 50 or 60 years of energy accomplishing what? You know what? They'll stand up and read your eulogy. Born in 1946, Acala, Florida. Raised three kids. Worked at Coca-Cola. Loved to ride bikes. Smoked ribs and then life smoked him. <laughs> the end. Pastor, you're trying to make... No, no, I'm just trying to introduce you to the reality of excuses. And Moses had eight, he said, okay... I volunteer. Oh, we should brag on Moses a lot. You know what happened? He overcame excuses and said, I don't want to pay the high cost of getting out of God's will because I have plenty of excuses to stay out of his will. 